When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know, the day of the week where we put our money where our mics are, and share stories from the best part of this show, you and your fellow listeners. Uh, we've got some... Got some fascinating stuff lined up for you, and I think we've got we've got a couple of voicemails. We got an mm-hmm. email. Uh, you know, Matt, at the risk of editorializing, maybe we should maybe we should hold yours for a second because it's really important and it's it's deep water. It's yeah, it's deep water. Okay, we can hold for a minute. I'll um. I'll I'll get some floaties ready for all of us, and then we can we'll <laughs> take off. Sorry, I have a. I want the one shaped like a. I want the one shaped like a hippopotamus, please. <laughs> I for some reason have a water safety kit in my go bag in my car, which is just <laughs> like why why do I have that? Where where am I going to be in an ocean? I'm going to somehow accidentally look around and be like, oh wow, I drove into the ocean again. 
the only water safety thing you need in your car is one of those hammers that's specifically designed to break the windshield or, you know, your, your, yeah, your window. I've got a, a, a tucked away part in the driver's seat. This has nothing yeah, to do me, with Yeah, me, that's, that's the best place to put it. Uh, so we also have uh, we also have some stories about non-human intelligence. Uh, we also have some stories about really about the learning process in the U.S. Mm. and abroad and what happens when that is standardized or I would say institutionalized. I would say even commodified. Uh, you know, nobody asks why we go to school five days a week and uh, why the school day is like roughly eight hours long. It has a lot in common with earlier manufacturing jobs that were extant and looking for employees around the time that we instituted that sort of public education. That's all I'm saying. It's a good point, Ben. I have to say, though, I don't know if this is the case across the board for folks or if it's just like uh, in, in certain cases, I find it interesting that my daughter's online only school um, gives all the students Wednesdays off from class to catch up on homework, to do oh. tutoring and to engage in outdoor activities. So I don't know if this is a product of COVID times. Mm-hmm. It struck me a little odd at first, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized she really does use that time uh, effectively. And even just the learning curve of, of, of transitioning to an all online situation has been a lot. So having that extra day to like ask questions and catch up has been pretty, pretty interesting. That's Wait, fascinating. Are you saying you think a four-day work week would be good? I would never say something so extreme as that. And honestly, guys, I think we all know, even if that was adopted by the national, you know, whatever, Zeitgeist, I don't know that that would apply to us as content machines. Yeah, Yeah, I I don't don't really, I can't remember the last time I had a day off. I was talking to one of my friends. I know you guys have heard me say this before, but they were asking us to, describe life in our weird bubble of of our careers and i was like you know we're kind of we're kind of like very underpaid anesthesiologists because it feels sometimes like we're always on call you know what i mean and i get a lot of letters thanking us for helping people go to sleep (laughs) so so the comparison works in two ways, but let's, okay, let's start there then. Uh, we have a, an anonymous voicemail uh, that is a response to uh, our earlier exploration on some of the questions and dangers surrounding learning and surrounding standardized testing. Yes, um, I was listening to your podcast about uh, standardized testing, and from my personal experience, I had a really... Um, interesting thing happened. Uh, It wasn't until I went to college my freshman year that I read a book on how to read a book, um, which really taught me about how the system, the school system, uh, it would be really uh, good for all kids if they learned how to learn first before they were taught how to learn. They figured out they were audio or visual learners. And uh, I just thought it would be really important to mention something like that because you know, I'm 50, 51 now, and I went through the school system back when I was called learning disabled and the dumbass and all that stuff. But um, uh, it wasn't about intelligence. It, you know, I'm, I'm intelligent. But it wasn't until I was a freshman in college that I finally was given a book on how to read a book. <laughs> so I figured you guys would get a kick out of that. And uh, I hope you include it in the uh, upcoming broadcast about the school systems and uh, how the... Uh, the testing and how the teaching is is uh, failing us. So thank you. Bye bye. 
Thank you, Anonymous. Uh, this is, yeah, we are going to do an episode on this in the future, but I thought I thought this was a fascinating point. It's one that strikes a chord with a lot of people in the audience, maybe with us on the show today, uh, standardized testing or assumption of learning style. Uh, learning style in particular can be a huge stumbling block to people. I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but anytime someone mistakes me for uh, a particularly intelligent person or something, I end up having to share the story about how I was held back in kindergarten. It's a true story. If you're not in the U.S., we have a thing called kindergarten. It happens before first grade. It's a German word. No one really tells you why. That's the only one that has a German word as the, as the name or the grade. You're year zero, kindergarten. And part of the reason I was held back was not because I was, you know, like a, like just a complete dunderhead, but it's because I I probably had some spectrum-esque behaviors and I also uh, am color deficient. So I couldn't see all the colors, which is a big f***ing deal in kindergarten. You're like, you can live and die by what you know about Crayola or Rose Art. And so I had to, I had to repeat that stuff. And I didn't know for the longest time, because how is a kid that age going to tell you, I'm just kind of winging it with green and red or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, not only that, like, how do you even verbalize that? Like when you're just learning what the things are and you realize you can't tell the difference, you maybe you assume it, it looks the same to everybody or something. Like you have to kind of even have the understanding to grasp what you're experiencing to be able to verbalize that, you know? Yeah, I had to, what I, my trick that I had to do was I wrote out the names of the colors. This was the, my first attempt at kindergarten. And then I would have, someone who could see them show me like this word is this one. I would see that it was on the side of the crayon and then I would like take that crayon and color over the word. So I'd be like, okay, well that's, that's red. So I just have to hope that every crayon has a label on it with a name on it. Uh, but still that wasn't enough. And I think that's happened. Like, did you guys ever have a moment where you thought, like, Matt, Noel, did you ever have a moment where you thought, well, I'm more of a auditory learner. I'm more of a visual learner or experiential. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am still to this day, honestly. Um, I was never particularly great at math. I was more of like a, you know, a communicator, but math never did it for me. And even when I did have to get tutoring eventually to like, you know, up my math chops, I did do better with like what you're describing, you know, like a more visual kind of auditory way of learning. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I share that extremely deficient at mathematics. But for me, I always found, and I didn't learn this until college as well, very similar to our caller, that I learn by doing something physically over and over after observing mm -hmm. someone. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that, that's a lot of the, a lot of the classrooms in the United States and other countries are designed to have an instructor who will if we're talking about mathematics, you know, show you a formula or something and here's how you solve for it and mm -hmm. just let like let you see it and visualize it and hear this person doing it and saying it um, over and over until you get to try it on your own. But I think there's something more tactile to a lot of learning where um, like in, in my career, we're talking about careers a little bit here, but as a videographer and as an editor, mm -hmm. I didn't I took a bunch of classes. I got a degree over there. Um, in doing that stuff, but I didn't truly learn how to do any of that until I physically was doing it and testing and experimenting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And There's a quote uh, that 
my mother shared years ago. She's a career educator, uh, and it's pretty powerful. It's uh, when I hear, I forget. When I see, I remember. When I do, I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it was the same with me for editing and, you know, even like storytelling, like I kind of like got thrown in the deep end with like uh, working for public radio and like literally my boss just didn't want to do it because he was older and nearing retirement age and they needed someone to like do news. And I'd never done news. I was in college at the time and I was in college for broadcast journalism, but I'd never actually done an audio news piece. It was not so, and I'd heard it, I'd heard NPR. So I just kind of copied it, you know, I kind of mimicked it a little bit. And uh, then I gradually, as I did it more and more, I got better at it and it became kind of my skill instead of me just trying to like copy, you know, what I heard on the radio. Um, but it's, I've always been that way with, with, but that's the interesting thing about working with software is it is so like audio visually stimulating. You're literally working with a graphical user interface that allows you to like move things around and time and space and then you kind of just get like muscle memory for that stuff and it's uh, it's very good for i think people that are that are visual learners yeah and this this goes to a twofold thing so there there's been a, a tremendous amount of work in what we call learning style right and this is something that's been a problem in education for centuries uh, primarily you know that's the primary reason you hear so many cognitive rags to riches stories of someone saying like, oh, well, you know, uh, Einstein, for instance, was terrible at math. That example is terrible because it's not true. Einstein is actually really great at math. So he maybe has a different learning style. But a lot of this comes from the fact that uh, people have a way of experiencing the world. Our, Our phenomenology is pretty much unique It's distinct on a person-by-person basis, and we can find stuff that works for the majority of people, but we always have to remember there's there's something else at play there. You know what I mean? Like, there are are people who feel like they stink at math, but they feel like they're amazing at music. Music is math. Exactly. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's it's, um, sometimes these cognitive... Uh, guideposts and stalls and fences that we put around the idea of learning a given thing are more are, are do more damage than they do good. And they're all well intentioned, you know what I mean. But this this makes me think uh, how excellent that point is about learning about learning, and of course that goes on to affect you in standardized testing. Standardized testing is made for a certain amount of learning. If you like figuring out how fast a train with 20 apples goes from (laughs) St. Louis, then, you know, standardized testing is your bread and uh, your your bread and brain butter. Uh, But the first thing you need to realize, Mm. (laughs) the first thing you need to realize is that 20 apples is not nearly enough freight for a train. But, you know, if you're going to maximize the economy of that train and how long it takes to get there and the amount of fuel, you're really going to need to put some more stuff on there, probably cars. I used to to prank people by writing uh, nonsensical word problems. Uh, There was a forum where there there were a couple of people who would just try to answer them. (laughs) <laughs> like they needed more information. And it was, oh, it was nonsense. But it was a great time. Uh, so, the, but there's another issue here uh, that I think we should spend a little time on. And again, okay. we are go- we're going to go into this in our episode on standardized testing. And we want your experience as well. Educators or people who experience something like 
uh, like Matt or Noel or, or I experienced, we want to hear your stories. So do share them. Uh, we'll tell you how at the end of the show. But as always, conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Uh, this is the thing we need to mention. We need to give just a little bit of a spotlight to our children over medicated. What I mean specifically is our children given things like antidepressants, antipsychotics, stimulants. Are, are they given those too often at an early age? Are they or are they not over medicated? It's an interesting problem, and I found I've found arguments on both sides. Um. I mean, really quickly, do you think kids are getting prescribed like Ritalin the way they used to? Or is that tapered off? It seems to have gotten a bit of a bad rap. Um, but I know that I was. Uh, and then I stopped taking it um, because it didn't seem to do what it was supposed to do. But it just seemed like that stuff was way overprescribed, you know, for ADD back when we were in school. And I, I just wonder if you guys know anything or have seen any studies, if that's still a thing that's happening. That's one of the go-to examples I always thought of, too, the prevalence of Ritalin prescriptions, especially because the way that, the way that substance functions, it, is it a great idea to give that to a mind that is not fully developed? Also, let me point out, too, another thing, another example of how legislation doesn't always keep track with technology, the human brain is not fully, like, in its Pokemon-esque final form. By age 18 or even age 21, you know, it's still forming. So if we have someone consistently taking medication with the best of intentions, how does that affect them later in life? Does it do something to that cognitive formation period of adolescence, puberty, and so on? Um, I, so I found, I found some folks saying that it's largely a myth that children are overprescribed psychiatric medication. And I found stuff, even statements by the uh, CDC back in 2016, saying that children are over-prescribed certain things. So yeah. you know, to, to map it out, like the, the most conspiratorial aspect would be something like Big Pharma put the pressure on uh, medical professionals, right? And somehow incentivized them to prescribe name-brand medications, even if those were not necessarily the first solution they should have looked for. That's the most conspiratorial. The other idea on the other side of the spectrum here, just to be fair, is that we don't have an over-medication epidemic. We have a uh, lack of diagnosis medication. It seems like we're prescribing too much because we're just starting to realize it's important to figure out if someone has, you know, chronic depression or ADHD. So maybe we're finding more skeletons in the closet because we have a flashlight and we're looking in the closets. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot to that. Um, anyone who listen, who's listened to this show for a long enough time knows that my amazing wife is a school psychologist and deals mm -hmm. with uh, children and trying to diagnose or at least test to give a better idea for a diagnosis um, on perhaps what a child needs as far as medication or needs as far as therapy, um, behavioral therapy, things like that. And it is, you know, I can't speak to her experience, but I can just speak to conversations we've had before. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times kind of what you're saying there, Ben, the easiest route is to give a child medication for the parent. A lot of times, mm -hmm. um, for the, um, 
staff that are working with a child within a school system, medication becomes like uh, an answer, I guess, to maybe this will curb some of the behavior issues that we are seeing. Hmm. Um, and it is, I don't know how prevalent it is, just to your point, Noel, but I do know that that is certainly something that everyone in the whole system, including the parents, the the staff, the child even, grapples with. Because at times it seems to be extremely beneficial for something like Ritalin or another, you know, similar drug for mm-hmm. a child, but other times it has devastating consequences. And there's no there's no real way to know until something like that is administered over a period of time. I want to explore this more deeply with you guys because this is mm-hmm. this is intense stuff, and and it's the brains of, like you said, of developing children that were it's important. We're playing with. Well, not to spoil any anything for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but I've been watching the new Netflix show, The Queen's Gambit, um, which is really great if, if you haven't seen it. But it, it deals with addiction um, uh, in children or like how, uh, you know, being prescribed a drug at an early age can carry on with you for your entire life. And I, as we know, with it, it is a fictionalized universe like this. It's not based on a true story. And even the the, the sedative drug that the children in this particular orphanage are given is as a made up name, but it's, um, it's, it's meant to be sort of a stand in for a drug called Librium. That's a benzodiazepine, much like, uh, Xanax, which would be prescribed today, or um, another one called uh, Va- Valium, I guess, things like that, that are meant to like anti-anxiety drugs. Um, but in the show, it becomes a through line as this young woman, you know, becomes older. And I would argue that, you know, like, prescribing a child something as powerful as a drug that is often abused by adults like Ritalin or uh, what is the the other one, Ritalin or um, Adderall um, and used as a, as an upper, like, you know, to study for tests or just like as a, as a a way of staying up late or people use it to, you know, keep drinking alcohol or party much like you would cocaine or something to prescribe that for a child, even though the effects are different, I I can't imagine it wouldn't have a significant effect on the mind of that child. At least at the very least, the um, receptors that lead to addiction or, or, or the fact that you're like addicted to something, you don't call it addiction, I guess, if you're using it as a medicine, it's not right. Like if I, if I take something for my thyroid, I'm not addicted to that pill, but it, it does a thing for me. But if I stop taking it, then that thyroid could go, you know, hog wild and, and horrible things could happen. So it's just an interesting well, but, discussion. The idea of, of addiction versus, you know, efficacy and like uh, treating a symptom. The the other side of the coin there is opioids, though, right? I mean, yeah, they yeah. kind of fit. They fit both bills there. Mm. They're, you're taking it for a reason, but you're also probably addicted to it as well. Um, That's a good point. The AP found that, uh, to your point, Matt, uh, preschoolers with ADHD are often given drugs before therapy. And so we see a compounding issue here, right? We have a, a before we continue to the next story, I do want to say if you are an educator and you are listening to this show, in my mind, you are a national treasure. You're a hero. It is bizarre. That, like Trick Daddy said, we live in a country where judges are paid more than the teachers. That's nuts. That's kind of topsy turvy. Uh, teachers should. It's be... nuts that Trick Daddy had to say. Oh, you man, know? somebody He's a very smart guy. Yeah, that's so, a re- I've never really thought of it that way, Ben. But that's a very, very good uh, dichotomy there. That is absolutely out of whack. 
And I credit people when they say stuff. I'm a big fan of credit where it's due. So like the the idea here, I first heard it from Trick Daddy. Yes, that's true. Uh, I, I didn't make it up. Somebody else may have written written it before, but that's how I encountered it. And I think we have a lot of questions to answer for you here, Anonymous. One, um, thank you so much for reaching out to us uh, with your personal experience. Uh, two, Thank you to the educators who are listening to this. While I am sure if you are in the U.S., you are doing uh, far, uh, far more work than you're being paid to do. You're, you're probably going home uh, and still working, right? You may be buying materials out of pocket and you're doing it because uh, you believe it's the right thing to do. So we want to hear your thoughts on the system. We want to hear your thoughts on standardized tests, and we want to hear your thoughts on learning styles, learning about learning. Uh, tell us. Give us your war stories, too, but keep them anonymous. We don't want to talk trash about kids we never met, even if the story is hilarious. Uh, so let us know. In the meantime, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back with more listener mail. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424 Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. And we're back. Uh, and oh, this will be like, uh, we'll call this section of listener mail today, story time with Dave. Um, because this email comes from Dave. And it's a couple of stories surrounding uh, the intelligence of Ben's favorite animals, corvids uh, or crows. Favorite birds. Favorite. Thank you. Excuse me. You probably. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's do the, the test real quick, Ben. If you had to pick between. A, uh, a a corvid that did your that was undyingly loyal to you and would do your bidding and like go get stuff for you and bring you mm-hmm. like presents and you could command mm-hmm. it to do things or your 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 precious prized cat Doctor Vankman what would you what would you what would you choose Whoa Well let me let me back, let me walk I, that back I do appreciate the way that that question is weirdly skewed. let me walk that back um, another <laughs> cat. That you don't already love and, and, and you wouldn't have to, like, you know, ab- abandon or uh, exile your existing cat. Uh, well, I would say, let's see. Um, I, you know, I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to be in some kind of boss-employee relationship with a, with a court. Okay. You know, like command it. I don't know. I, and I, what, also, I don't really practice favorites. What, what if it was more of an adoption thing? Like this Corvid needs you, you know, yeah, yeah. You're, you're helping out. Well, uh, that would be, that would be super cool. But with Corvids, it's really like, you know how you get a price break when you have more stuff, uh, you order more of the yeah, same you thing. You need a group. You need a, you need, yeah. You need, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, murder and unkindness. But I, I, <sighs> I appreciate like, uh, what would you guys do? If you saw, if you saw a bird like that and it needed help, would you help it? I feel like that's a little Blade Runner. The turtle is on its back. It's trying to get up, but it can't. I would. You're not helping. I, I would. It would take an awful lot for me to muster the a courage, b wherewithal to even like touch the 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 filthy thing. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god! <laughs> this is hard for me, you guys. Birds really freak me Don't out. They just really freak. I say it like it's a joke, but and I don't. Like, I don't see birds and, like, run the other way or anything. Um, but I was once chased by a very aggressive chicken, and it it, did, it wasn't a good experience. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, hey, sorry. I was, I was cleaning something up. Yeah, forget chickens. They're terrible. Mm-hmm. They're okay. monsters. Okay, as long as we're on the same, same page about chickens. But, no, it's true, Ben. I love Based chickens, on everything fine, we've whatever. discussed on this show and outside this show, I am fascinated by crows. Uh, big fan of the movie The Crow. Unrelated, but I, I think that movie does, doesn't get enough credit where credit is due. The second one, not as good, but the first one, pretty cool movie, holds up. But Dave wrote in to give us a few real-world, first-hand examples of uh, crow intelligence. And I'm going to read you a couple of these, because there's only two. So that's, those are the ones I'm going to read you. First one goes thusly. When I was in late elementary or early junior high school, my family went on a weekend outing to a lake in southwestern Ohio. At some point, I went alone on a walk to explore the area. While walking along the side of a road near the lake, I encountered a crow standing in front of me. 
I was used to crows always keeping a great distance from humans, so was surprised when this one looked right at me and stood its ground as I got closer and closer. Finally, I was only two or three feet from it as we both checked one another out. Then a cat came walking from the lake in our direction. The crow saw it and said clearly and excitedly, Uh-oh, here comes the kitty. Great. He, she, then flew onto the roof of a nearby house. This was the first time I learned that crows could be taught to talk, and I surmised that it had already been likely uh, raised as a pet. It was a very cool experience. Upon returning to where my family was, I told my parents what had happened. I don't remember them responding with the uh, interest I expected, as I don't think they believed me. I've since imagined my father saying to my mother, something just ain't right with that boy, like in the Hank Hill type voice. I've been interested in crows ever since. Years later, as an adult, I recited the event to my siblings, and one of my sisters claimed it was a story created by my childhood imagination. It was not. Hmm. Pretty cool. Well, so Dave. Story one. Story one. Uh-oh, here comes the kitty. That's Yeah, story one uh, from, from Dave hanging out in Dayton, Ohio, I'm assuming. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. It's probably not Dayton, but that would be hilarious if it was. Uh-oh, here comes the kitty. Oh, here comes the kitty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you guys do you guys think it was a trained like it really was a trained pet? I don't know. I just don't know like how I, I don't know anybody with indoor outdoor birds. Cuz you would possibly well, think if you let a bird out it would just be gone. But but then mm-hmm. to your point Ben with corvids, they come back. So maybe this is one of the rare situations like with a falcon or something where you can let it out. But the falcon, you at least have to have that like big leather glove that it's attracted to with a piece of steak on it or something. Yeah. The thing with the Corvids here is they can talk, uh, but the, your odds of finding one that speaks, of course, it's mimicking human speech and it has to have some sort of human speech to hear, right? To mimic. Uh, otherwise, it would just be mimicking other animals or perhaps increasingly, and sadly, traffic and stuff like that. This probably means, Dave, the, the Corvid you're talking about in story number one had interacted with humans before and had probably been uh, rewarded for learning to mimic our version of cause and so on. Because that's what the crow thinks, right? Yeah. Uh, there's this old folkloric myth that crows had to have a, their tongue split and then they could use human speech. Oh, wow. Luckily— Luckily, that's not true. Uh, to me, one of the big questions is uh, the same question that comes up with Alex the gray parrot. Yes, this bird is mimicking human speech, but does it understand what it's saying? It appears to understand, at least, uh-oh, here comes Kitty, is associated with that cat. Like, I'd be interested to know if the cat and the crow know one another. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are they like co-workers in some kind of mm. Disney film? No, he's he's clearly taunting the cat. Like he's he's sarcastically saying, "Uh oh, here comes the kitty." That's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, but Ben, I'm sorry, you caught my interest when you mentioned this idea that this misconception that crows have to have their tongues split to mm-hmm. uh, in order to speak. Um, and I looked it up, and it is obviously, you know, you're absolutely right. It is a myth, but there's a term for it. It's the it's called freeing the tongue. Of the crows, mm. and there's a lot of uh, posts and and uh, things out there that say that uh, you can't have a talking crow unless you go through this process uh, of splitting their tongue, which I can't imagine 
anyone would ever that's want awful. to do that. Like, what do you like? I, I can't imagine that a a veterinarian would even look at that as ethical. It's from the days before right, veterinary right. science. Like, it's an old. It's, it's the old thing. I, I imagine it could have come about when someone said, "Like, holy, holy crow, talking." Talking Raven or Talking Crow or something. However, did you teach it to say down with the Adams administration or whatever? And then the, the person says, well, it's an old secret I learned. You just got to free their tongue. They're like, what do you mean free their tongue? Like, well, you know, cut it in half. And just sort of starts talking. Like, that's, that's, I could see it happening. I don't know where it came from, though. That's awful. I don't know the etymology of the folk or the origin of the folklore. Uh, but yeah, I wish I had seen that. I've never seen a crow. I've watched a lot of videos, but I've never talked to a crow in the wild. Wait, wait, wait. No, I've never had a crow reply to me, or nor a raven, nor a magpie in human speech. Well, Ben, it's never too late um, for it's something great late. to happen. Or for you either, Noel. You know, think about it. Like, a, a, oh, I don't want to scare you. Maybe, I was, maybe I was a crow say, would come up to me and just say, hey, man, everything's chill. We're not out to get you, you know? mellow out yeah yeah but it would say it in crow speak so it'd be like (laughs) and i'd be like peace i'm out but all along it was just trying to comfort me you know uh it's unfortunate we're just gonna always exist at odds me and me and the corvids then when you get your murder though maybe i don't know maybe i'll come check it out i'll come i'll come yeah from from like a distance a, a safe distance yeah our super producer codename doc holiday uh, just just returned uh, from uh, from some adventures mm-hmm. that we will not spoil. And uh, codenamed Doc Holiday, you were telling us that you also had a run in with some corvids. I remember. I, I, I pay attention to this stuff obsessively. Maybe, uh, but this again. This, I don't know. I, I'll be honest with you guys, Noel, Matt, I, Doc. I would freak out. I love the idea, but I would still freak out if I were at my house maybe like recording where you guys are recording now. And I heard a pecking on the window and I turned around and it was like a Raven. And the Raven just said, what up? I would, I would lose my, I would run. I might run. I might run. It would be way worse for you too, because you're like what three or four doors into a building. <laughs> right. I'm, I've got a window right here, so I, it would make sense for me, but who's on your window? <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have anywhere to run. Well, let's jump into another uh, quick Corvid story um, right now. Also from Dave in today's story time with Dave segment. Um, Story number two. A few years ago, I was in the kitchen of my upstate New York home watching two crows walking around the backyard. They found something they were clearly interested in, which I assumed was some sort of food. Apparently not hungry at the time, they buried it together. Afterwards, one crow walked away, continuing to explore the yard. While its back was turned, the other crow quickly removed the uh, stash, in quotes here, uh, from where they had jointly placed it and moved it to another location a few feet away, then caught up to its comrade as if nothing had happened. It was cool to see the clever deception uh, transpire before my very eyes. I later saw a documentary which showed researchers recording similar behaviors of crows being studied. Feel free to mention my email on your show if you wish. Regards, Dave. Wow. Deceptive behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm. It implies some really cool things about intelligence. Not ethics, yeah. but it implies some <laughs> cool things about intelligence, right? So, uh, Dave, from your story, we see object permanence, 
right? We also see uh, the ability of empathy or assuming at least, not empathy, excuse me, assuming the viewpoint of another creature and mm-hmm. reasoning that that creature is also possessed of reasoning ability, right? Uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of pretty impressive cognitive stuff going on in this weird, you know, this this very like party foul con. You know what I mean? Yep. I was I've been looking in that too. You know, we 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 see that weirdly enough, the ability to deceive or attempt to deceive uh, through your actions rather than your appearance is is a mark of really high intelligence. And I mean, like the reason I say through action rather than through appearance is think of something like the gecko. So the iridophores on a gecko, right? They they can alter the color, right? Alter the pigment. But the gecko is not going to win a Nobel Prize. You can't like teach a gecko to go out and bring stuff to you or, or, you know, talk to you really. On the other side, you have the octopus, right? And it has chromatophores and those help it change its shape, color, and texture. Uh, But the crow doesn't have that. The crow is changing its behavior to deceive someone. We know that primates do that too, uh, but not a ton of other animals, honestly, are able to improvise this kind of behavior. Mm. And then, I mean, it's a ding on crows too. Are they too smart to hang out with? Because clearly they're going to steal from you if they think there's an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, you just go ahead and walk, walk ahead. No, that's no problem. I mean, hashtag not all crows. <laughs> yeah, but, but still, I mean, I, I, I don't know. And, and people with pets can assure you, you know, dogs are intelligent enough to try to deceive people. Or they're at least reacting to that tone in the voice where you say, where did it go, Fido? <laughs> where is it? And then Fido's like, I don't, what? I got nothing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. When did, kids, when did kids start learning deception? Human children. That sounds weird for me to say. When do, when do human children learn deception? I, I don't know. I've, I've got one example, and it was immediate, so I, I don't know. <laughs> you got to say episodes of what? Yeah. What about you, Noel? Do you remember anything where uh, with human kids where you're like, okay, this one is, this kid's pulling a con. They figured mm-hmm. out deception. It's like all the time, you know? Uh, <laughs> like... Uh, <laughs> It's, I don't know, like, it, it's sort of like maybe like the most obvious one is sort of like when you tell a kid not to do a thing and then they think that if they do it in a little bit different way, then it's not, you know, going against what you said. Um, my my mm-hmm. daughter's baby sister does stuff like that all the time where I'll be like, don't throw that at, at me. And then she'll just throw something else <laughs> at me. Um, that's sort of a con. It's a short con, admittedly, but it's definitely uh, tr- trying <laughs> well, to skirt the rules in some way, you know, I, I, the letter mm-hmm, of the law. Exactly. Yeah. One thing that one other thing that crows have in common or corvids have in common with humans and human children uh, is that they play, they deceive and they play. Like you can find so you can find multitudes of videos freely available online uh, where there's a crow who's just decided to mess with an animal. And a lot of times it's like they go and they, they like bite the tail of a cat or whatever, and they walk away. They're not trying to uh, distract the cat, actually, often. They're not trying to scare it. They literally think it's funny to bite something on the butt and then watch it freak out. <laughs> which I think is maybe a mark of intelligence. I didn't know that's what we, the point we would get to in today's listener mail. Well, now I'm just going to search for videos of crows messing with people, and that's going to be the rest of my night. 
a night well spent. All right, I guess we'll uh, go to commercial. Sounds good to me, man. This is two bird stories in a row for me today. This is, I didn't oh, even didn't right. occur to me until just now. We just you know we recorded our strange mm-hmm. news episode a minute ago, and that was a bird story mm-hmm. about the bird of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're talking about corvids and stuff, and I'm I'm a little triggered, so I do need a little moment to to comport myself, and then we'll be back with another listener mail. I'm gonna put on that uh, raven costume real quick. Awesome, uh, exposure therapy is working, Ben. Good job. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424 Two four to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, and we are back. And now we are going to jump to a voicemail that was left by Krista. And uh, she just has some very interesting things to say. So we're going to jump to that right now. Hi, 
Um, my name's Krista. I actually live in Atlanta. Um, I was listening to your recent episode about like orphanages and stuff and foster kids. And I was wondering if y'all have ever heard of Georgia Tatum and she was over the Tennessee's Children Home Society Orphanage back in the 1930s and uh, how she used to just kidnap children and sell them to richer people who had money um, to buy them. And um, yeah, it's just really messed up. My dad was a foster child in the 1960s. So it's just kind of close to home, but thought it would be something interesting for y'all to look into. Oh, and you can use my information. It's fine. Wow. Yeah. This is not something that I thought I had ever heard of Mm -hmm. until I realized that Georgia Tan, it's G-E-O-R-G-I-A and then T-A-N-N for anyone listening who just couldn't quite hear it. Um, Mm -hmm. I realized Georgia Tan was an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that I most assuredly have seen. It's just been a long, long time. I think it was 1989 when an episode came out, uh, December 13th, 1989. Right back when it was coming out, right after Alf. <laughs> yeah. I was a little <laughs> too young. In the uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was a little too young for the Unsolved Mysteries at that time. But, uh, you know, once they became available mm-hmm. to watch, they have all been seen. Including, again, if you're out there looking for stuff to watch, if you haven't seen the two Netflix exclusive seasons of Unsolved Mysteries, we can't recommend uh, more that you go and watch that whenever you get a chance. So let's, let's jump to Georgia Tan. Uh, have you, had you guys ever heard of this person mm, before? Not I, uh, I, I had heard, but that's, I don't know how much of that is just, uh, having family in Tennessee or something, you know, could totally see that this feels like something that at the time it would have been a big story, but uh, I don't know, maybe maybe a little more local than we'd care to think, even with the severity of what was occurring and what her full name is Beulah George, Georgia Tan, that she went by Georgia. Um, sorry, Beulah. She's named after, her, I believe, her father, her grandfather or something. Uh, I remember reading about this. Anyway, um, the severity of what she was doing was intense and, and horrifying. She was, just as our as Krista from ATL said, she was stealing. She and a network of people were stealing children, like literally, literally at times stealing children, at other times negotiating essentially the taking of a child, and then selling them, uh, turning around and selling these children to people who were desperately looking for a child. There is a ton of eugenics that was fueling a lot of what was going down uh, at this place called the Tennessee Children's Home Society. According to multiple sources, there were over or around 5,000 children that were stolen at some point throughout the years that that Georgia Tan was working in uh, both the Mississippi Children's Home Society as well as the Tennessee Children's Home Society. And like that is that's an incredible number. Mm-hmm. 5,000 children. And you just think of of all the mothers that lost children. Ooh, man, that is that is rough. Yeah. You know, the most horrific thing about this about this case of trafficking 
in my mind, is that it was not technically illegal. It was yeah. just considered highly unethical and, quote, frowned upon. Uh, we know a little bit about Georgia Tan's personal life uh, that I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil it. We have to approach it in a nuanced way. But um, from what I understand, the laws of the time gave great agency and latitude to what we would call child protection welfare services today. There are documented cases, for instance, of parents, stable parents, by the way, dropping their kids off at nursery schools, you know, daycare, and then later they're coming to pick the kids up after work, and they're told that welfare agents had taken the children. Imagine, that makes you reconsider daycare, you know? Um, Sometimes someone in the family would be ill or unemployed and their kids would be briefly placed in a group home or in an orphanage. And then, you know, they would get over the illness. They would get a new job. They would find out later that the orphanage had either adopted them or simply had no record of where the child went. Yeah. They, they just vanished. I mean, that, and that is the worst. I'm telling you, that is the worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. For for any parent, for a child to just vanish like yeah. that, no closure, no answer. Uh, mm. One of one particularly insidious thing they did, and this is definitely illegal. Uh, they would take children born to unwed mothers, which was a big deal at the time, a huge social mark. Uh, they would take children who were born to unwed mothers, uh, and then. They would take a spirit these kids away at birth, and then they would say, you know, well, the newborn's okay, but it needs medical care. So we're going to put it somewhere where we can make sure that, that your child is well. And then they would uh, sell or traffic those infants, and they would say, oh, yeah, sorry, the baby died. Yeah. You shouldn't have to see it. Um, they destroyed records. They did destroy records. Trail. And in a lot of cases, the babies were so young when they were – kidnapped they would die because they the people at the at the home where they were kept were attempting to keep all of these children alive to feed them all to protect them all and some of them did die mm-hmm. and um like the in in a lot of the reporting there's been so much written up about georgia tan and this whole thing because again we're talking about a woman who was born in 1891 mm-hmm. and lived until 1950 this is from insider this is a, an article from Insider. It's describing a situation where uh, Georgia and a few other people would drive, or maybe just Georgia sometimes. Can't confirm it with what's written here. I have no proof. But they're saying that she would drive through impoverished neighborhoods with a black luxury car that was, you know, just um, just cleaned. It's very shiny. It's very attractive looking. And would just... Uh, like offer kids rides in it and they would get in and never be seen again by any family member, by any relative, by any, you know, anyone living in the area, they would just be gone. And it reminded me a lot of this really messed up thing that was occurring in Atlanta in the late 1970s, early 1980s, where children were vanishing from impoverished neighborhoods. Um, I just, I never thought about it. In that context, of course, in, you know, Atlanta child murders, they were murdered. In this case, they're being sold. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are some unsettling parallels. Yeah, there's there's like a, I don't know, historical fiction based on this real life story called Before We Were Yours um, that, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, sold quite a lot of units, I believe over two million copies. I cannot uh, 
I cannot speak to the quality of the work. I just know it exists by Lisa Wingate. Um, but also, apparently, um, Joan Crawford adopted twins from uh, Georgia Tan in 1947. Um, so I don't know. You're right, Matt. It's, it's very perplexing because is how, how did that work? I mean, when we say adopted, I mean, you know, it was she ran a home for like an orphanage for all intents and purposes. And I mean, you know, it, it obviously costs a lot of money to adopt children even today because you have to go through the paperwork and all of the applications and all of that stuff. But would this have literally been like a cash for children situation? Like, wouldn't that have been a red flag yeah. to, to somebody like Joan Crawford? Well, they had, okay. So the, the law at the time in Tennessee allowed an agency to place kids with, uh, people who applied to be adoptive parents, but they wanted to ban the selling of children. So technically, agencies could only charge for their service, right? So you're like paying us to help keep the lights on at the group home. Uh, you're paying us to help, you know, facilitate this, uh, you know, this adoption process. And this doesn't mean that these couples seeking to adopt a child are necessarily bad people. Want to be pretty clear about that. They want to raise a kid, right? Um, But the society, the Tennessee society at least, charged around uh, $7 for adoptions within the state of Tennessee. But it gets tricky because a lot of these people are very well-to-do and they're being targeted by TAN. Uh, TAN would also arrange for outside of Tennessee private adoptions and charge a premium. Uh, the majority of these folks, I think, came from New York and California, and she would do like they would make a trip every three weeks with several babies, and uh, each couple that they gave a baby to would pay seven hundred dollars directly to Georgia Tan, which means she's taking the money. She seems to have been lying to some of these people because she said she would overestimate her expenses, like claim she had done background checks. As she never did, claim the flights were ex- more expensive than they were, uh, or inflate the cost of paperwork by as much as five times. And then on top of that, the government of Tennessee itself is donating $61,000 a year to that agency. Uh, so, Jeez. so it feels like financial motivation was the key here, and maybe she rationalized this trafficking conspiracy uh, with classism, right? By saying, hey, yeah. I'm giving these kids to, what what she call them? She had a quote where she said, like, people of the higher mm-hmm. type. Yeah. Well, yeah, listen listen to this. This is from an ad from National Home Finding, National Home Finding Society. Okay? Um, mm. <laughs> this is speaking about adoption and the benefits of it. It says, Adoption would reduce divorces, banditry, murder, and control births, fill all the churches and do real missionary work at home and abroad, exchanging immigrants for Americans and stopping some of the road leading to war. Wow. It it, it is interesting, though, and and sort of like a double-edged sword to the story. Um, And maybe this is overstating the case, but I have seen it said in in some of the research uh, uh, into this woman that she did kind of normalize the practice of of adoption uh, or or make it more something that was attractive to more well-to-do individuals, Um, which, you know, you could argue is a 
good thing? I, I, I don't know. Like, and, and the legacy of, of her did have that uh, impact in some, some way. It's something we have to explore, right, more thoroughly. Yeah. I, <sighs> I really, really, really want to cover this more thoroughly, uh, for sure. And in adoption and all, all these things. We've got several big episodes around some really rough topics coming up. That's true. <laughs> that's true. But that's okay. I, I'm excited about this one because there's ton. There's a ton to explore here. Thank you so much, Krista, for for calling and telling us about this. Really appreciate it. And thank you, Dave, for sharing your Corvid stories. Uh, thank you, Anonymous, for uh, sharing your personal experience with learning how to learn. We've got so much stuff we have to follow up on now. We've we've made some promises in today's listener mail, uh, and we are going to make good on those, but we need the show to continue, and that means we need your help. So if you have a story about Corvid intelligence, we'd love to hear it. If you have a story about anything we explored related to adoption, uh, related to foster homes, related to the school system overall, as well as the medicine prescribed to children, we want to hear from you. We try to make it easy to find us. We're on the internet like all the time. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the good ones, all those slow jams of social media. We like to recommend Here's Where It Gets Crazy, which is our Facebook page where you can talk to the best part of the show, your fellow listeners. We also like to recommend YouTube, youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. Are you just listening to this? Well, hey, guess what? You can use your eyes, too, to listen to this podcast <laughs> and see it. Oh, Lord. Uh, YouTube.com slash conspiracy stuff. Uh, check it out. And if you don't want to do that stuff, hey, and you want to talk to us about something, you can give us a call. We have a phone number. That's right. You can call us at one eight three three stdwytk Leave us a message. Do your solid level best to keep it within three minutes. Let us know if it's okay to use your at least first name and definitely your story. And we don't have to use your name at all, but the story is the most important part. And then you might end up on one of these listener mail episodes yourself. Hey, and if you don't want to do that, guys, you can always contact us the best good old-fashioned way. Our email is conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.